For a few moments, let me turn your attention to the book of Luke chapter 12. I have an assignment today that I, I'm not sure I am qualified to fulfill, but I will do my very best. Luke chapter 12, I want to pick up reading. Well, let's start with verse 1 so you can get a context of where we are. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another. Get the picture. Very clear in your mind of this large gathering of people and they're pushing and shoving and actually trampling on each other. And he began to say unto his disciples first of all. He talked about things they should beware of. But in verse number four, he said, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and are after it that they have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. I say unto you, fear him. Verse number six. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, ye are of much more value than many sparrows. Amen. I want to go back to verse number 6. And I want to underscore the latter part of that verse where Jesus said, And not one of them. Not one of them are forgotten. Not one. My subject today, none are forgotten. Amen. None. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The Jewish people had a word for preaching, charaz, which literally meant the stringing of pearls. And it seems that on this occasion, Jesus did just that. They were not connected per se as in a fluid thought, but they were important matters that Jesus touched on and highlighted. 
and drew them out for their attention. And one of the questions that merits our consideration, Jesus pulls from the marketplace an illustration of his point. And of all things, he chooses a sparrow as his illustration to speak a powerful truth to his disciples. Now, the sparrow was, as is today, one of the most despised birds there was because there were so many. It was the food of the poorest of the poor. It was the most insignificant of all of the feathered flocks of the air. And yet Jesus determines to use them as an illustration. And he begins by addressing fears. Fear is a universal language that everybody understands. And no matter who you are or where you come from or what your background or your nationality or your pedigree or whatever else you may put with life, everybody in this building knows a little bit about fear. We've all grappled with it from time to time, and we've all had our share of moments when we were afraid. But in our text, Jesus addresses two of the greatest fears that mankind will ever face in life. One of them is the fear of how he will be treated by others. We are all fearful of how others are going to treat us. Will they hurt us? Will they harm us? Will they injure us? And so we grow up in life with a certain protective mode so that we do not allow ourselves to be hurt too deeply because people have the power sometimes to do that in our life. The power that they wield over us sometimes is so injurious that we feel like we will never recover, and so we are always conscious of wanting people to like us and love us and accept us and embrace us. And I think perhaps one of the greatest fears of growing up is being accepted. In our awkwardness as teenagers, how many of us sitting here today struggle to fit in, and some of us did some really stupid things just so we could fit in because we wanted people to embrace us. In our little quirks and personalities, foibles and all of our little idiosyncrasies, there was something in us that was so insecure that we were depending on their smile or their nod of whether we had any value or worth. And so we were constantly trying to measure up and You know, a lot doesn't change when you get older. We still do that to some degree because we are still conscious 
of being limited and we know our faults and we know our failings, but we hope that others will not see them and love us in spite of our shortcomings. And so he talks about fearing. Don't fear the person that can hurt just your body. The person to fear God, the one you should fear, is the one that has the the ability to affect your body and your soul in hell. But the real point was not to fear God in being afraid, but reverence Him that He alone should have the power over your life of approval or disapproval. Don't ever allow somebody else's opinion of you to trump God's opinion about you. The second fear that he addressed is a river out of which thousands of fears flow. Now to understand it, let me go back to our text. Verse number six. He asks a question. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them, not one of them, not one of them, is forgotten. Not one. Now, to really understand the significance of that statement, you have to go back to Matthew because when Matthew recorded this, this, this setting, he, he wrote it a little differently and he said in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for one farthing? And yet Luke picks up the pen and he elaborates. Now, I don't think that he misquoted. I think perhaps Luke better captured the meaning of Christ than even Matthew did when he was listening because Matthew was a tax collector and he was into numbers and you know, numbers are numbers. You just don't fudge. But Luke was a physician. He was used to dealing not with the, with just the, the body, but the mind and the soul. And he understood how those things could affect someone. And when he was listening to what Jesus said, he understood the point that he was getting at was not just a number. It was not just five or two or one farthing or two farthing, but there was a spiritual principle that God was trying to get through to them. And he reiterates that by the next statement about the hair on your head. Now, the reason that is so important is because there is no fear that we fear worse than the fear of insignificance. A feeling like we don't matter. That we don't count for much. And sometimes we develop that thinking by, by going back to the first fear of how people treat us. And because people treat us wrongly, we then begin to embrace a feeling about ourselves that I deserve that. That I, 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 I don't deserve any more than that. I, I don't, I don't have a right to expect any more than that. And so what somebody else could not do to us, we turn and do to ourselves. 
by saying, I don't, I don't matter. If, if I wasn't even here this morning, nobody would even know I was gone. If I just disappeared, nobody would even be aware that I was missing. And Jesus, Luke understood the spirit of what he was saying is that what men are conscious of are not numbers, but whether we count. And there's a difference between counting and count. You see, you can sit all day and look through the congregation and make your estimate of whether they're worth much or not. But the only one that really knows what's going on inside is you. And some are in this building today that God has sent me to talk to today and let you know that your vision and view of yourself has been warped by somebody else. And God wants to turn that vision around and give you a proper estimate of who you are and what you mean to him and the thing that he will go through to help you in your life. Amen. The fear of insignificance. You see, here's my point. If one farthing can buy two sparrows, then two farthings should buy four sparrows. You passed first grade arithmetic. But Jesus evidently implied more than that. And Luke says that two are not sold for four. He said, you can get five for two. So the point is that whoever was the proprietor of uh, of the little uh, place of business just threw that extra one in for nothing. That fifth sparrow was just thrown in free because it didn't mean that much. It didn't have that much significance to it. It didn't really matter. Nobody's going to miss one more sparrow missing. And the point he was trying to make is that there's a lot of people that you're going to run into in life that have let the things that have happened to them in their life that people have done to them. They've mistreated them. They've abused them. They've talked down to them. They told them they're failures. They told them they'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. You're never going to climb out of that hole. You're never going to be any better than what you are. And what's happened is you've allowed that mentality to seep in. And now they, you feel that way about yourself. I don't matter. I I don't really count. I don't think anybody would even know if I was gone. Jesus said, oh, you're mistaken. You're, you're, you're vastly mistaken. Because listen to what he says. He said, those five, that one that doesn't matter. He said, not one of them is forgotten. Not one. Even the one that was thrown in for free. 
I'm talking to some folks here this morning that have been carrying some stuff in your life for a long, long time. It goes way, way back to early days. Somebody said something to you. Somebody mistreated you. And something happened and an edge developed in your life. And then the next thing is it turns internally and you start doing it to yourself. And you don't need a devil to buffet you anymore. You do a good job tearing yourself down as it is. You do a good enough job making your mind miserable as it is because you agree with him. I don't matter. I'm not of any count to God. God wouldn't even know if I'm missing. And God took a moment in the life of his disciples to stop him and say hey I've got news for you you do count everybody counts everyone matters to me you see we fear nothing more than we fear insignificance amen That in the last tabulation of life, that there will be nothing that we will have contributed that will have been of any worth. Sometimes we just feel like we're a little fish in a great big ocean. That my struggles, my struggles are just my struggles. We're overwhelmed by the bigness of life. And the littleness of ourselves. We are overwhelmed by this fear. We fear we've made too many mistakes to recover. We've walked away too many times. We've turned back too often. We've let unbelief overwhelm us. And we say things in a self-defeating way like, I don't think I'll ever make it. I don't think I can do this. I'll look stupid if I do. People will not understand. I'll never get that done. I'll never get that promotion. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. And God sent me today. To help somebody. God wants to touch your thinking today. Because some of you have let what life has done to you affect what goes on up here. And it's bad enough that somebody hurt you. It's bad enough that somebody spoke evil of you. It's bad enough that somebody left you out in the cold. It's bad enough that somebody hung you out to dry. But what's even worse is what you've done to yourself since that time. You've bought into that lie. And my lifestyle reflects that. I abuse myself. I embrace things that abuse myself. That's why people do drugs. That's why they get involved in all of the other things that go on in life. Because they are embracing what life has said about them, which is false, by the way. But they've not had anybody come around and say, hey, that's a lie. Your body was made as a temple of the Holy Ghost. And God wants you to understand you mean something to him. You may not matter to the world. But you matter to the one who made the world. 
Stephen Foster was a songwriter in the late 1800s. He wrote a lot of cute songs that the turn of the century sang with luster. Camp Town Ladies, uh, Old Susanna. I know most of those are probably beyond your age group. My Old Kentucky Home, Swanee River. Those songs helped men get through some troubled times. The gold rush of California and then the bust. People losing everything, bankruptcy. And yet if you follow the trail of Stephen Foster's life, you will find him in his end in a flop house on the Bowery. An alcoholic, forgotten by the world that he had so encouraged and gave a lift to. He's just a forgotten drunk. And one day they find him. He's dead. Nobody knew it. He had no family to contact. But when they started going through his clothes, they pulled out of his pocket a little torn piece of paper. And it was the beginning of a song. And he had penned these words. No one cared for my soul. Stephen, you're wrong. I know it's too late for me to tell you, but it's not too late for me to tell somebody in this building that the lies that life have told you about your upbringing and all the abuse and all of the hurt and all the other stuff that you've gone through in your life, the lies that people have told you about who you are and you'll never be any better than that and you're always going to have that problem and it's just a mental thing with you. No, sir, it's not a mental thing with you. It is a God thing with you and God sent me today to tell somebody that you really do matter to him and that's all that matters come on clap your hands to the Lord you know what some of us we've not been abused but we still deal with a lot of insecurities that's why we crave attention That's why people name drop. That's why we say, my team won the World Series. And I've never been to spring training. I've never had batting practice. I've never been on the bench, much less in the game. But my team won. And people fight. What is it? Is it just we're crazy? Are we sports crazy? Are we just a bunch of idiots? Has the world reduced us to such a simple-minded people that we embrace such ideologies? No. The root of the problem is the same root that Jesus was dealing with. We got to feel like we belong to something. We got to feel like we matter to something. And so my team... Won the championship. My team won the Super Bowl. 
I remember going the night of the Super Bowl, Brother Edwards, we took him to eat at Cheddar's and I had stepped away to go to the restroom and, and our waitress was standing in front of the television and the last of the game was on and she was, she was all into it and I thought, hey, we're here to eat. Come, come help us. And I turned and I said, are, 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 are you going to help? Oh yeah, but my team, my team is winning. And I looked at her and I thought, you know what? I doubt very seriously if you have ever put on pads or you might, she looked like she might could have, but I, I don't think she ever had, but, but I, I, I looked, I, I thought, you know what? What, what, what is it that makes us say mine? It's because we want to feel like that we belong to somebody or something or we matter. That's why, listen to me, that's why countless millions of people are having all kind of surgical procedures on their body to make themselves look better because somewhere somebody's planted a seed. You're ugly. You're too fat. You're too this. You're too that. Your hair's not the right color. You don't have the right shape. And what they say about us begins to be what we say about ourselves. Well, you know, I do need a little lift. Go ahead and lift it. It'll fall back down. I'm just telling you, you can go, you can tuck it. You can lift it. You can, you, you can do whatever you want to do to it. Tell me I'm not telling you the truth. I didn't mean for this to be the comedy hour, but. Y'all waving at me. I've told the story before, but Lord John Ogilvie, who used to be the chaplain of the Senate, pastored in Hollywood, California. Hollywood. And he had a large church filled with very, very wealthy people. And one day he received a phone call from one of his ladies, a very wealthy woman. And she was completely distraught and he had no idea what was wrong. And so they set up a counseling session. She came into his office and she just began to boo-hoo and cry. Carry on. He thought maybe husband died. Maybe he left her. Finally got her calmed down. And, and she said, well... What, what I really needed to talk to you about is, and she began to unfold the story that looking in the mirror one day, she felt like she was getting a little too old, so she decided to go to have a facelift. Too many sags, too many wrinkles, and so she went in to the best doctor. Whatever the price was was insignificant because she could pay for it, but she was shaken When he got through, she was not prepared for what he said to her when he finished. After the surgery, she had been taken back to her room. He came back to her room, and as he was passing by, he said, Oh, by by the way, one thing I need to tell you, that what I've done for you today is only going to last about five years. 
five years? For $100,000? Five years? You mean I've wasted all? He said the only thing that will preserve it longer is if you have a soul lift to go with your face lift. Because your soul is what gives your face its reflection. And if you don't change what's down inside of you, it doesn't matter what you do to this out here. It's going to find its way to weasel itself back to the surface. And I'm talking to some folks right now in the Holy Ghost. But some of you have tried to find a way to surgically fix, not just naturally, but in your own way. You've tried to put it away and you've got it all covered up and and you keep operating. But somehow it's wiggling around trying to find its way back out. And the truth is, if something doesn't happen in here, it will not affect what's here. Jesus said, I want you to go tell them this morning that they matter. And none of them, not one, no one is going to be forgotten. No one. No matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how many times you've failed, no no matter how many times you've tripped, no matter how many times you've blown it, none, not one, will be forgotten. You see, my message is so simple, it's almost, it's too, too simple. God cares for me. Amen. He cares for you. He cares about the struggles that are going on inside of you right now. He cares about the fact that you couldn't sleep last night because you're torn about all last week and the week before that and the week before that. God cares in the details of your life. The details. How do you know that? Because he went on to say that he numbered the very hairs of your head. He didn't just count them because you can forget counting. But when you number, that's a whole different ball game. And he numbers. I read something somewhere where a blonde has about 120,000 hair follicles. A dark-haired person has about 100 follicles and a redhead has about 80 follicles, 80,000. Hair follicles. Interesting. And yet God knows all of those. He even knows the ones that have fallen out. Now, here's the crazy thing. We monitor our gas bill. We monitor our bank account. We monitor our electrical bill. But I'm not going to say anybody in this building got up and got ready for church and looked down in the sink and said, "Uh uh-oh, there's 190,622. We acknowledge that it's gone, but we don't make that big a deal. But God said, I make a big deal about the little stuff 
in your life. I make a big deal about just those hairs on your head. I numbered them. I put them in their place. I gave them their purpose. And what I want you to understand is if I gave them their purpose, I gave you your purpose and you have a reason for being here. You've got a reason that I brought you to where you are. You've got a reason that I'm loving you. You have a reason because I'm reaching for you this morning. Man, let's let's stand together. Feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. 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 Mm. <clears throat> you see, God wanted me to come to tell somebody this morning that you you don't ever need to second guess God. Don't 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 second guess what God has to say about you. Can I read to you what God said about you? Psalms 139. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Verse number 13. He said, you, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together. Now, crocheting, anybody know what crocheting is? That's the big loop. That's the big thread. But knitting, that's that area about that big around that's got 10,000 needle points in it. And so when God talked about how he made us, he didn't just weave us as yarn, but he knitted us. Fine detail. The color of your hair. The color of your eyes. The smile on your face. The set of your eyes. The stuff that you hate about yourself now. And the reason you hate it is because somebody else said they hated it. And you think because they hated it. That makes you a marred being. But God said, I made you in the inner part of the body and I knit you together in your mother's womb. He said, you watched me as I was being formed. Again, the word implies intention, not accident. Formed. Now, I can scoop dirt up, but I haven't formed anything. If I want to form something, I have to have a vision of what I'm trying to create. And then I know how much of this and how much of that and how much of this to bring them all together. Make it. And so he watched over me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As, and again, he said, as I was woven in the dark of the womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me 
as I was being formed in utter seclusion. You watch me. You saw me before I was born. Every, listen to this. Every day of my life. Would you say that with me? Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day. Every day. Every day. Would you say that one more time? Every day. Every day. Every day was recorded in your books. Every moment. God looked at the day and said, oh, that's too grand. Come on, let's narrow it down so they can understand just how much I love them. Every moment, every 60 seconds of your life, God wrote them down in his book. And you want to tell me today that you don't matter? And you want to let somebody else tell you that you're worthless? You're a slob, you're a failure? You're a jerk. You want somebody else to have more influence over your life than God does? Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. How precious are your thoughts about me? They cannot be numbered. (laughs) I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still there. I'm going to tell you what I sense in the Holy Ghost right now. I know I'm not preaching to everybody, but there's some people in this building that has feared waking up because of what might come in your life. And God said, would you tell them not to fear? Because I already know. And while you wake, I will always be there. People may leave you, but that doesn't mean I've left you. Don't equate me with people. Amen. So why does he love me like he does? Why does he care about that one worthless thrown in sparrow because he made me he made me and I count with him Amen. 
I'm talking to some here today that brought a lot of stuff with you this morning that you've been carrying for a long time. And it has affected your habits, your choices, the direction that your life has drifted has been because of something someone else did to you or said to you. And I'm going to tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. I feel the Holy Ghost pushing all that stuff back and taking your hand, His hands and putting them on your face and shaping me into the person He made me to be and to tell me you count, you matter with God. Amen. Would you just lift your hands to Him right now? Feel, I feel such a tugging in the Holy Ghost right now. Why does He come this morning? Why does He come this morning? Why is He reaching for me this morning? Because He cares. Because He cares. He cares about every one of them. Not one, not one shall be lost. Not one is forgotten. Not one. To those who have felt forgotten, I'm asking you right now, would you just slip out from where you are and step into the embrace of His love right now and allow Him to wrap His arms around you and tell you what He's been wanting to tell you for a long time. That I made you. I created you. I designed you. You have no one to fear but but man and what man could do to you. Oh God. God will never do anything but good to my life. He will never do anything. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on, somebody else. Just step out. Let him embrace you right now. Oh, God. Your love. Your love that never fails. Your compassions. That fail not. No other friend so kind. Lord, you curiously wrought me. 